Welcome to the second episode of Mass and Tights, where I was told I did the intro wrong last week. So I'm going to try it again this week. All right, so you guys, let me know if I get it right. Okay? It's got to be big. Big. All right, here we go. And standing seven foot four, weighing 575 pounds, the eighth wonder of the world, Masks and Tights, with your hosts, John and Strugatz. Did I get it right? That's better. 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 All right, better. better. I, I think it might need some more work, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So this week, HBO released its Andre the Giant documentary. And we were there to watch it. So uh, they- now that I think about it, the intro kind of fits for what we're going to be talking about. But you, yeah, you need some work on that. All right, we need some work on that. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> what did you think of the documentary? It was very interesting. I didn't learn much about Andre the Giant that I didn't already know from you know the books that I've read or stories that I've heard over the years or podcasts that I've listened to where they talk about him. Um, the footage of him um, at his family's farm in France was definitely stuff I've never seen. I've never seen anyone from his family or what they look like. Uh, I saw his daughter once uh, in a backstage photo uh, recently, like with uh, Natalie Neidhart. I want to say it was maybe three or four months ago. Uh-huh. Um, but um, it was just interesting stuff to um, to see no matter what. Because I'm a fan of his, but um, it, was, it was just it was well done, and it was HBO. You know, it wasn't like uh, some fly by night company doing it. Yeah, I mean HBO <laughs> has a Sorry. has a string of great documentaries. They have the Thirty by Thirties, and or that is that ESPN Thirty for Thirty. I don't know. I uh, that's ESPN. Okay, but uh, HBO did have a series, and I don't remember what it's called then. Where they were doing sports documentaries for a while. Yes, um, they did real. They did real sports with Brian Gumble, which kind of was like expose type stuff. You can just leave it. I'll, I'll take care of it. Okay. No, use a different. Use a different. Um. Again, I don't watch a lot of sports stuff, and I openly admit that, so I confuse it all. I but, find documentaries about sports more enjoyable than sports. Oh, I agree. I could sit and watch documentaries about Muhammad Ali. Yeah, I love Muhammad Ali. I'm a big Ali. Muhammad Ali fan. Oh, so am I. Um, and I'm not even a big boxing fan. No. Um, yeah, but there's so many like uh, I like sports. I like documentaries about personalities. So regardless of what they did, you know, Jackie Robinson. Uh, and I'm just gonna blank as I try to think of names that were great sports documentaries. Uh, obviously, I watch wrestling ones because I enjoy wrestling. Uh, like Andre's again, I had never seen any of that early, like any early footage of Andre. Um, I haven't read any biographies on Andre, so I didn't have that perspective. Um, I did know a lot about his WWE era personality between just watching back then, hearing stories, reading stories, podcasts, uh, you know, like Bruce Pritchard's podcast. Yeah, but- Bruce Pritchard definitely paints a different picture. Of Andre the Giant, I, I but it's one. I think it was that he painted a different picture. He just showed a different side of the same picture. Because I don't think they were going to go into the, like the details of Andre going to the bathroom. 
No, uh, I mean, they did. They talk about how on a plane he'd have to defecate and urinate in a bucket. Yeah. Um, in and that little know. area, you know, like where you walk in. But a lot of it but, was the same. Um, he, he ran Big John Studd out of the WWE, you know, in the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s. Um, Big John yeah. Studd, from the stories that Bruce Pritchard tells, um, Big John Studd was right on that cusp of being getting a big baby face push when the company needed big baby faces and Andre kind of uh, prevented that. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they kind of glossed over things like that. They kind yeah. of, they did mention he hated big John stud yes. and he hated big wrestlers. But like, the other side of that though was Vince McMahon saying, well, you know, big John stud was disrespectful. He'd step over the top rope. Well, he's a heel drawing heat. So that's what he's going to do. Are you going to say that you told them to not do that as his boss? Hey, don't, you know, don't step over those top ropes. Andre's finding it disrespectful. You know, don't do that. Are you, was that conversation something that took place? Or was Big John Studd just a heel, just doing any heelish shit, and Andre didn't like it? I think part of it is just that he's a big guy, and how else is a big guy going to get into the ring? When you're six ten, you're not going under that top rope and stepping over. You're stepping over that top rope. You're six ten. I mean, Kevin Hall did the same. Uh, yeah, yeah Hall did the same. Nash. Yeah. Uh, I confused the two, and I realized it okay. and stuttered it. Um. Yeah, but Kevin Hall did the same thing. Yeah, Kevin Nash did too. Kevin Nash. Oh God. <laughs> so I did it again. Even after you corrected yourself, you still did it a third time. Awesome. All right. Awesome. So Hall was a big guy who would step over the ropes too. There, I got it right. He could um, if he wanted to. I mean, Scott Hall could. Scott Hall could, yes. As I confused but, it. But Kevin Nash did. <laughs> yeah. But from, when you're like a bigger guy, like 6'10", 6'11", the best way to project that you're even taller, that you're a bigger deal, is to step over that top rope. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, doesn't Braun Strowman do it too? And Whatever. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah, so it's just like you expect, you know, big guys to act like big guys. Yeah. But Andre was like, no, that's my moves. Those, you know, and nobody else gets to do that but me. So I can see Andre being mad about that. But Vince McMahon saying, well, Big John said was wrong and disrespectful. No, dude. Did you tell him to not do that? Yeah, of course he didn't. And Andre of was. Because he's a heel. But Andre was also, you know, the main event. So right. Vince looked on him very fondly and very much made him, you know, the center of attention. And if that's what, you know, Vince wants, well, what are you going to do? You're not going to be able to stop the boss. No. So, you know, he gave in to what he thought Andre wanted because he was also respectful because he worked for his father. And Vincent K. McMahon has a very high opinion of Vincent J. McMahon, as has been stated elsewhere. You know, so it's going to happen. Um, but I didn't know he hated Randy Savage. And the Iron Sheik. And the Iron Sheik. And Which was, is kind of weird because Iron Sheik was like a real deal guy. I mean, he was a legit strong man. He was an Olympic uh, gold medalist for strength and for wrestling. I thought yep. Andre would have been cool with him. I just Andre was not a fan of anyone who annoyed him. And, Pretty much um, has been documented, uh, well documented. Randy Savage was a perfectionist and would obsess about 
every single step taken in a match. And Andre was more like, leave me alone. I'm drinking and playing cards. We'll figure it out when we get out there. Yeah, he liked to play it loose in the ring. Um, it was nice to hear Lawler um, say really nice things about him. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, it's one thing to read it, but to say, have Lawler say, like, Andre would sell for you no matter what you did. You just knew you weren't winning. Yeah. And as long you just knew that's, you weren't going to win. fine. But Andre would make you look strong. So you could play <laughs> off that for, you know, the next six months in your local territory because Andre gave you the nod. Yeah. And Andre made you look strong. And then this giant just kind of turned and took you out in two seconds. But he was the giant, and you faced a giant and survived. I watched a Andre the Giant Roddy Piper match um, the other night, and total total squash. Piper got in no offense. Um, at one point, um, Andre just has Piper's leather belt that he would wear around his kilt, and he's just whipping him with it Ooh. from pretty much across the ring, and there's no place for Piper to hide at all. Um, and I don't know if Pi if Andre just didn't want to make Piper look good or if it was just, hey, I just we have to make Piper look like a real chicken shit heel. Um, Piper ended up like walking out of the match and was just like, I'll, I'll just take a tank out. It's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, they didn't really mention Piper at all in there. No, no. So, you know, it could be that Piper was on the list of people he didn't like. Although he, you know, he did appear on Piper's pit for the big Hogan match for WrestleMania three. Yes. Uh, so who knows? But yeah, if Andre didn't like you, you weren't getting You'll a good be. match. Yeah. <laughs> he was. <laughs> you weren't. <laughs> but it was great. You know, he, he's just somebody who he liked to laugh. He liked to have a good time while he was in like constant pain. And that's what we really learned about in this documentary. And hearing, you know come out of the words of some of these, the mouths of some of these people uh, from everybody from like Rob Reiner and the cast of the princess bride uh, to Hulk Hogan you know, to mean Gene. Yeah, all stuff I knew, uh, but sometimes it's just cool to see who's telling the story. I, I mean, except for Rob Reiner. Um, I heard, I've heard Billy Crystal speak about Andre the giant many times um, over the years. Um, and, who was the other dude from uh, Princess Bride? The one who played uh, uh Carrie Always. No, no, no. The dude who uh, played the swordsman. Um, the, the Dread Pirate Roberts was Carrie Always. No, no. The other. Oh, oh. Uh, you mean like Inigo Montoya? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh God, I can totally picture him, and I'm gonna blank on his name, aren't I? He's on Chicago Hope. He's on um, uh, what's called the show on Showtime now. Um, I'm looking uh, it up. I know it's gonna bother me if I don't. Only because oh, Mandy Patinkin. Mandy. I got it before yeah. it loaded. Um, that's a win for me. I feel good when I when <laughs> I can figure something out before Google pulls it up. I feel like I won today. Um, he's spoke about you know Andre uh, many times over the years. So um, I've never heard Rob Reiner say anything about it. So that was always cool because Rob Reiner is a, a guy I like. So seeing him talk about you know Andre uh, drinking uh, and how they they worked out those scenes with the cables and whatnot to me that was always yeah. that was interesting for sure. Couldn't ride the horse; he was too drunk. Yeah, and I don't so even the, know if the horse could take that much weight. No, even a Clydesdale wouldn't be able to take that much weight concentrated like that on its back. It can pull that much weight, but it can't have it sitting on it. And then, um, you know, um, uh, Robin Wright also yeah. talking about the scenes she had with him. 
was cool. I've never heard her talking. Uh, yeah, I, I heard her say that that same footage was all, I think, from a Princess Bride documentary. Oh, was it? I don't know if I ever saw All the it. same stuff, said, okay. except for the Rob Reiner. For me, anyway. That's possible. Um, yeah, but it was just cool to see it, regardless. Uh, you know, everybody talking, like, how much they loved Andre. Like, nobody was yeah. being negative about Andre. No, no. I wish they would have gotten uh, some uh, interview with... Uh, time with Haku, who was Andre's tag team partner for those that last year of Andre's career, because Haku has over the years gave out some great stories as to why they were put together uh, in the ring and outside the ring, and uh, how he had no problem helping Tim White, who was Andre's handler, um, just get Andre you know from point A to point B, you know, and yeah. he knew, and he's a very respectful man, Haku. Um, if you ever hear. Uh, well, I guess you can't listen to it now. Um, he was on the Ric Flair's podcast about two years ago, and he had such respect for those guys at the top of the card who made everyone else money that um, Ric Flair's wife got stuck at an airport uh, one night, and he was there, and he pretty much sat and protected her all night like a watchdog just to make sure nothing happened to Ric Flair's wife. And because he, in his mind, like, that's pretty much the boss's wife because Ric Flair is at the top and he's whenever Ric Flair goes, um, people come out and we sell out arenas and I make money. I'm going to protect, you know, his wife. And he was the same way with Andre. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It was cool to hear Tim white in there. Yeah. Talk about a lot what, of people don't know that he was Andre's handler. I, I didn't, I, I didn't know the guy's name. I knew he had one, um, but it was cool. Like, this is like, this is what it was like to travel with Andre, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, again, cool to hear, the people who were there to tell their stories and to watch that, even though you've heard some of these before from other people, you know, um, although, and then, you know, Tim White telling the story of like uh, how, what happened was he, when he, when he went backstage the first time and, and walked into the pretty... locker room, get, get out, get but, out. But I work with here. I'm with you guys. No. Yeah, there were no impersonations, which was kind of disappointing. Uh, Hogan was doing was doing That's one. That's right. He did one. He did one yeah. at one point. Slam! <laughs> so, uh, brother, uh, how you want to end this uh, match? Oh yeah, he did his uh, Randy Savage impersonation. Yeah, yeah, he did it against the Andre one, which was great. No baby oil. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was just—it was—it's funny. Like you never see that side of Hogan either. No, no. So it was cool to see him talking about Andre, and he obviously like had admiration for Andre. Oh, without a doubt. Because usually you think of Hogan as you know being about Hogan. So for him to Always. be open it's, about it's the Hogan show. Exactly. So for him to put over Andre like that, yeah, is really he must really have you know admiration for Andre. But it was cool. Also, I don't. I'd never heard the stories of Hogan watching Andre wrestle when he was in like junior high school. Yeah, and I have never heard that before. That's pretty cool. I don't think I've ever heard that either. So it's like, yeah. I mean, we we're, we've been wrestling fans for thirty years or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 40 years, whatever. But oh, my God. Th I'd have to say 35. It's probably about like what it 44. is. 44. Um, I was eight or nine, I guess, when I first started watching wrestling. Yeah, uh, 83, 84. 
probably. So for me, so yeah, probably about eight or nine. Also, the thing that I felt the um, the documentary really hammered home was how uncomfortable it is for someone who's big to travel at all. I mean, oh. I'm a big dude. I know I'm like height wise, I'm I'm five ten, but I'm broad shouldered. I'm two hundred seventy five pounds. I take up space, and I am very cognizant of it when I'm in a crowded area, just how much space I take up and need. Like, my arm movements are all big arm movements, and to sit on a plane for any amount of time is painful for me. I get up, my knees hurt. Uh, my back definitely hurts. The back of my neck hurts from sitting on an airplane for too long. So I can't imagine how someone who's seven foot four um, 575 pounds. Uh, uh, struggles, you know, with that. Yeah, no, yeah. Like they showed pictures of him taking up two seats in the airplane. Yeah. And it's not like it looked, that even looked uncomfortable. He had room, but it's like he's sitting on the hump in between yeah. the two seats. Like that's not comfortable. And the like ceiling they couldn't even was, put like some blankets down for him to sit on. And the ceiling was like causing yeah, him to bend his head a little bit. Cocked. Like, he couldn't get comfortable no matter yeah. what he wanted to do there. And it was, they were first-class seats. It's not like he was trying to sit coach. And, and even so, the, <laughs> the seats, like they are now, that's not what they were back then. Like I think the seats were better then. I think they were bigger. Well, but now in first-class and international flights, you can get, like, those lay-down seats, and you get, like, a little yeah. cabin area. Oh, yeah, yourself. yeah. So, you know, for those kinds of flights. But for those, no, it was just the – what we consider kind of like economy now. Yeah. You just had a little more leg room. Like they didn't have a huge difference. Bigger. They were bigger seats, but they weren't like what, what you can kind of get now. No, get no. Like a private cat. Some of these flights have private cabins and shit. But it's only because I haven't, I don't, I haven't been in first class internationally in a long time, but those seats that like make that little bed area, would he, aren't they like barriers? He wouldn't have been able to, like, yeah. width-wise, get in. I don't. Yeah, he might not be able to. You're right. I don't know. So, I mean, it depends, I guess, on the flight and how it's set up. But I can't imagine he'd be comfortable no matter what. <coughs> like, he would need a cargo plane, really. Just so he can get up. He can walk around a little bit while, while in the air and then still sit down. And you could put, you know, you could make it where it's more comfortable today, I think. Well, we also live in a world where the WWE owns a private jet. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. It could just be like you're going to sit in a private jet and we'll remove these two seats and put something there. I, I think you. I think that's more likely that Andre would have had a plane or Andre yeah, would have had the WWE yeah. plane. Or, or he would, like they do for Brock Lesnar, they, they charter a private plane. Exactly. You know, to get him from Canada to, to wherever they need to get him to today. And Andre made more money than Brock. Than, oh, yeah. Than really any of the top five guys combined. Yeah. I yeah. mean, merchandise isn't what it is. Or merchandise isn't what it was then. Like, it wasn't what it is now. now. Yeah. Like, he would, I mean, I had an Andre the Giant shirt back yeah. in the 80s. With a big hand on it. Exactly. Yeah, there were a couple shirts and, like, the LJN dolls that were, like, yep, big. Yep, I had those, too. But, like, that was it for merchandise. Yeah. Now... You know, Andre is a legend, and still they occasionally put out Andre merchandise. But like, if he was like the way John Cena gets merchandise now, don't oh, forget it. Yeah. Well, 
Andre is one of those rare guys that has a WWE merchandise deal and he has a Roots of Fight um, merchandise deal. Oh, really? Yes. And, you know, usually WWE, everything's exclusive. Well, yeah. I mean, because they design it all in-house and sell it their way. But, you know, Andre, but Andre selling tickets. Nobody sold tickets like Andre. Yeah. Except maybe Hogan. And even they kind of said, like, Hogan was the second Andre. Definitely. You know, so, you know, there's really no comparison to to what Andre was back in the day. Like, he was a feature. One minute. Uh, No, not you, one minute. Just one minute. uh, I know. For the microwave. Which we can now hear humming in the background. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, like, if Andre wrestled in this era... I think he'd still be the top guy, and uh, he'd be selling the most merchandise. He'd be the, the only guy. problem is in today's climate. It's really um, well today's industry. It's really easy for a guy to be overexposed. There's so much television and arena appearances that it's like you would have to leave him off a tour for two or three months and then start him again. Or it's like you'd put him on the SmackDown brand house show tours and then put him on the raw house show tours. Um, this way, the other parts of the country are seeing him at different times and you build a little longevity in between house shows, but TV and pay-per-view, I think would kill it. Yeah, that's true. Cause I mean, even they were saying like they would take him off for long stretches because then it's like, otherwise what's the point? It's you want to see him. destroy right. people. He was able to be off of WWE TV at that time. First stretch because he could then be on Crockett's TV or uh, in Memphis's TV, or he could be out uh, in Texas at World Class Championship Wrestling's TV, and different parts of the country were seeing him, and then they would get that break of not having to see him for three to six months. Yeah, and, and I mean the, the documentary did spend a little bit of time at the beginning giving a good explanation of yes. how the regional wrestling worked back then, because um, really everything was regional until the early '80s when Vincent K. McMahon like bought WWF from his father yes. and started at the advent of cable television and building a national brand. And WWE was, or WWF at the time was the first national wrestling brand. And it didn't immediately affect all of the regionals. So even so he, they could lend him out and do things in other regions, but they, they did a good job explaining also how Vincent J McMahon uh, was sending Andre around the country to the. Uh, he became the exclusive, and uh, for Andre, and then it was like he was lending Andre to you to give you a bump and sell and ticket sales. Exactly. For a little so he, bit. He was the Godfather. Yeah, he was. He liked you, and you got that bump in sales when Andre showed up. They spent a good job explaining, did a good job explaining that. And I thought they did a really good job explaining the whole regional territories, how it all worked back in the day. Yeah. Like it wasn't insulting at all to wrestling or wrestling fans. It was very much done intelligently and spoke to spoke to you as a fan intelligently. Yes, but it also had to kind of bring in the people who don't know these things. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's easy for you and I who, you know, we've read the websites and read all the history and everything. But it wasn't how- dumbed down at all. No. It was just explained thoroughly. And I like how they, when they were explaining it, they left the Northeast out of it. So that when they finally explained, you know, Vincent, you know, 
Andre's deal and everything. That's when they introduced, you know, the WWF at the time. So it was it was really well done, you know. And I, I'd say we I learned a few things from the documentary. Just hey, you know, we got to see his brothers who are still alive. Yes. Find out what his early life was like, which a lot Excuse of me. even biographies kind of don't have. Because, you know, not too many people like talk about that period of his life. Because they weren't there. And Hogan telling his stories were fairly entertaining. Nope. Just get so, another one. Get two. You'll hear it. Get two of them. <laughs> I, just, I just went through this with Cody 10 minutes ago. Yes. It's okay. Just the trust joy, me. The joys of recording in Stugatz's kitchen. Yes. Home of the Eat Up Show. Yes. Casa de Stugatz. So would you recommend this documentary to other people? Oh, definitely. If um, Whether you're a wrestling fan or not, it's something that that um, should be seen. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously for wrestling fans, it's great. It's, you know, just seeing all these people, like, just showing their love for Andre <coughs> and telling stories. And for non-wrestler fans, it's a way to kind of help bring them into understanding our fandom. Because it gives a good backstory of how wrestling worked at the time from the was it 60s and 70s to yep. mid 80s even i'd say it even to like 1990 because that's really once things started to change again yeah. but they could see how things worked how andre was just a force of nature and uh oh god you know i, I want to go back and watch all the andre matches now actually what it well, on the wwe network there is the andre the giant collection which i hardly recommend all right then i have to ask you what is the best match in the collection? Um, wow. I mean, I did watch a bunch of them the other night. Uh, there was one match with Andre, Dusty Rhodes, and Junkyard Dog versus um, Ernie Ladd and the Wild Samoans. And that was from the St. Pete Forum over in St. Petersburg, uh, Florida, for Florida Championship Wrestling. That was a good one. The um, match with... Um, him and Piper was entertaining because it was right on the heels of him being on Piper's pit uh, right after WrestleMania 1 when Piper's just all in his face saying, Big John Studd said he slammed you. and uh, Oh, well, don't you know. And he just grabs him by the shirt. And Piper looks legit scared because he backs himself up out of the shirt. And Andre was not letting go of the shirt. <laughs> so that's definitely worth uh, seeing. Um I don't think there's a, a Roddy Piper collection on the network. Uh, there should be because those Piper Piper's pits alone were uh, were awesome. I used to have a VHS tape back in the tape trader days that were all Piper's pits, and it was like two and a half hours of nothing but Piper's pit clips. And now nobody owns a VCR, so we can't watch them. Yeah, I know, but like that's but now we have the internet, and it's like you, I'm yeah. sure there is a collection like that on YouTube. I'm sure. Uh, we've talked this about that. Um, on our uh, Geekadrome show a long time ago, how things are not rare anymore. No, everything's common. Everything's on the internet, and you can have it with the click of a button. Yeah. So we're not going to retread that whole conversation now. But yeah, that, yeah, that, that six-man match was definitely worth watching because it was uh, – if Andre does some moves in there that you wouldn't expect him to do, um, so it was entertaining. Yeah, that's something I thought was interesting, how he was considered a more athletic wrestler – Mm -hmm. In his early days when he started wrestling in France. <coughs> um, 
and then just he kept getting bigger and couldn't really do them anymore. Well, there's one match with um, Mr. Fuji. Andre does a splash off the middle turnbuckle. Really? And it's like awesome. That's pretty. I mean, and he, Andre didn't wear knee pads, so nope. you know he's coming down hard on those knees. Um, I seen another clip where he did a tombstone uh, pile driver, which was made famous by by the Undertaker. Yeah. And Andre did it the same way, where he went up like on his tippy toes and then crashed down again on his knees. That he did not wear knee braces. It's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He was a man who was willing to, you know, put his body through that shit yep. when it was doing that to itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, what are you going to do? He really was one of the greats. He, he deserves to be considered a legend. You know, and then we can't forget, you know, his Titanic matches at WrestleMania against Hogan. No, that WrestleMania 3 match was just unbelievable. It is. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not a great match. I know it's only about you know ten minutes long, but but it was it was symbolic, and that's what makes it great. Um, the other thing that is on that collection is the uh, the main event match with Hogan and Andre, where Andre finally defeats Hulk Hogan for the world title. So is that the only time Andre ever held the world title? Then yes, yes. So was anyone ever able to beat him? To beat to get the title off Andre. Well, he surrenders it to Ted DiBiase. Oh, that's right, because he was on the DiBiase payroll. Yes, and that's what that's sets right. up the WrestleMania Four uh, Undisputed uh, Championship Tournament. I'd forgotten about that. Yes, yes. I was going to say, like as explained in the documentary, they almost they never put the title on Andre until then, um, because how do you get it off? Yeah. He's a monster. He and once he loses, that's it. The mystique's gone. Yeah. I mean, it's really what happened to Goldberg. Yes. He won for, uh, what, like 150 weeks in a row. Yep. And then he's got the title, and it's like, well, now what do we do? Now what? Yeah. <laughs> they finally beat him, and then everybody was bored of him. There's no streak anymore. Nope. Although there were those of us who were bored of him after like 10 weeks. I was bored of him after the third week. Yeah. It was it was cute in the beginning, but it's like, <coughs> uh, as Bruce Pritchard says, and then what? Yeah, and then what do you do? Well, I got an idea. Well, that's why I'm curious to see how they handle Asuka's uh, loss because they it was the only thing about her was the streak, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'd like to see where you know how they have her handle it um, in character and in the ring. But the thing that she has that, you know, Goldberg didn't. His ability. Yeah. She could go. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want, yeah, she's, her character's about the streak. But when the bell rings, she tells a great story in the ring. Oh, definitely. really knows how to work the ring. That's why that Charlotte, the match against Charlotte for the belt was a great match. It was two women who really know how to work the ring and really told a story in the ring. Except for when Charlotte botched and almost killed herself well, trying to do yeah. the top rope move. Well, there was that too, sure. But that aside. I get so angry when I see it because there's a match that she had with Sasha Banks and she did a moonsault to the floor, you know, the, 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 the arena floor. And Sasha had to move, like step in a good six to eight feet to catch her. Like six to eight feet is a big difference. You're, like, you're, you're far off the mark. Like, if you can't do that stuff, don't. There's no shame in not being able to do it. You're going to hurt yourself or someone else. Don't do that. 
that's not to say we wouldn't love to have Charlotte on the program to talk about wrestling at some point and being part of a wrestling. And I would lecture her and tell her, don't do that. I'm sitting here watching being scared for you. If you're watching this or listening to this and you know Charlotte Flair, please invite her to be on the show to talk to Stugatz about her, about, you know, moonsaults and top rope maneuvers. Some of us love you so much that we don't want to see you get hurt. And as the documentary built to WrestleMania three, as really, it really was the pinnacle of his career selling out the Detroit, was it the Pontiac? Pontiac Detroit, yes. Michigan. Thank you. You know, I think that really there's nothing else to top that or to go after that. No, no. It was really a decline after that. He had a feud with Jake Roberts after that, and then the Ultimate Warrior and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, that was again. He put he was putting those guys over and building, helping to build them up. And then he did the tag team uh, with um, uh, Haku, and they won the world titles, the tag team titles. Yeah, and um, even though I mean, most of that was glossed over at the end of the documentary. Yeah, yeah. It was you know. He felt Vince let him down in the end. Yep. And perhaps Vince did. I didn't know. That was actually pretty sad. Yeah. But I, I think uh, Andre took a lot of things personally. Is what yes. One of the things I took away from the documentary that you don't necessarily get from reading books on no. Andre. And it kind of – it's heartbreaking to find out, like, that's how he felt. But, you know, he, he did have his people and people who did, you know, come to become his surrogate family who loved him. Uh, that he had that farm in North Carolina, was it? Yep, right outside of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. So, yeah. So, you know, at least he had, you know, people around him that, you know, that were part of his life. And those people really seemed like they, they still care about him. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was great. Just I, I had never seen any of them interviewed either. No, so no, great, not at all. You know, it was great hearing them reminisce and show home movies of Andre on the farm. I don't know if I've ever seen any of that before either. I I seen a bunch of footage of him on the three wheelers, uh-huh. but that's about it. But yeah, but it was just him hanging out with the family, yeah. and that was pretty cool to see. That was great. So Andre really was a legend, deserving of this legacy, like where they do documentaries about him every like five to ten years, uh, and kind of just bringing him to the forefront for not just wrestling fans, but for just you know sports fans in general. Uh, there was that one dude at the end. He said, you know, just like uh, Daniel Boone was a real person. Uh, uh, William Wallace was a real person. Um, Vlad the Impaler was a real person that we've made into this larger than life characters. That's what Andre the Giant uh, was and has become. He was a real man. He was real. He lived. And there is this lore and mythology about him that will be talked about forever. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest advantages that he wrestled before the internet. Like, I don't think a character like that can exist now. No, no, we don't have myths like that anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, in, in, in life, like in general or just wrestling wise, cut uh, it out. All right. I'll cut it out. Right, leave him. <laughs> I mean, really both. There's nobody who's going to have a, a mythological legacy at this point. I mean, maybe in politics, but beyond that, I can't think of anybody. I know. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. It's something we'd have to uh, maybe discuss on Geekodrome. Um, 
one uh, one episode. Or we'll just wait ten years and see if anybody becomes mythological. I'll be dead by then. I was hoping for like Geekadrome episode like one thousand for us to talk about it on. God, we can't go on that far. <laughs> I'd like to welcome my new host, co-host, the robot automaton version of Stugatz. You know. I am Stugatz, Kesa Dicha Paisans. <laughs> Welcome but, to Geekadrome. Ming. So if you want to hear more from Robot Stugatz, tune in to Geekadrome. We're live Monday nights usually, and then you can subscribe on the iTunes, Google Play, and everything else. If you want to hear more of our fun wrestling talk, subscribe to Mass and Tights on iTunes. Uh, or SoundCloud. We'll be up on everything else soon. Um, it's just we're we're getting everything ramped up, and we'll we're be still live. In beta. We're still in beta, perpetual beta, and we record live <laughs> Monday nights after Geekadrome on the same YouTube channel. So tune in, join us, and uh, you know, we, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, we don't have a good outro like too sweet for the show yet. We need to work yeah. on that. Yes. So catch you later, Bill and Ted. See ya.